0: Previously on Two Star Two Trek,
1: he like hired oh. somebody to come take a double decker in Julian Bashir's <laughs> toilet because <laughs> like he can't do it himself. <laughs>
2: he he made sure that like all of the batteries for the fire alarms were like almost out,
1: so They're they would, so right. they would
2: run like they'd run out of battery when he got home. Greetings, friends, and fellow Trekkies. Welcome to Two Star, Two Trek, a limited edition podcast series where we talk about all of the two-parters in Star Trek history. We are at the tail end of Deep Space Nine. We've got this and one left,
1: and tonight we are covering... Favorite the Bold and Sacrifice of Angels, which were episodes 129 and 130 of Deep Space Nine, airing... um On October 27th, 1997. Ah, a good year. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, This is like... Season 6 episodes 5 and 6.
2: Yes. And this is like where the
1: serialization of Deep Space Nine really starts to take hold. Which we keep saying, but I really think this is the culmination of a lot of build that's just been happening for, for years at this point.
2: Right. So before we jump into all of that, we have two fantastic and fabulous guests. Joining us this evening, we have both Katie and Steph returning from the wormhole. Steph, how are you doing this evening?
0: I'm doing excellent, and I'm very excited to discuss Deep
3: Space Nine again.
2: Yes, I it's
0: slowly becoming
2: one of my favorites. Katie, how are you this evening?
3: Doing super well. I, you know, I can't get enough of DS9, so anytime you have me here is just just a treat to my day.
2: Yay! We are glad to hear it. So, let's just kind of, and this is weird, because, you know, we've been saying, oh, Deep Space Nine is so serialized and things like that. This is the fifth and sixth episode of season six, and... It really feels like a direct continuation of like all of the stuff that happens at
1: the end of season 5. Yeah, it's really wild that it's not the season premiere, but Right, you would think. They still had some work to do, I guess.
2: So, in the previous episodes, a bunch of like stuff happens. Basically, the Dominion War starts and the Cardassians retake Deep Space 9 and my absolute Absolute favorite part of this episode is the fact that Cisco left his baseball on the desk for it to pay off six, seven episodes later. So. Let's get right to it. The episode is about Cisco having the bold idea to retake Deep Space Nine, and he does it with the most insane PowerPoint presentation ever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. You have to admire the fact that in the future, we're still doing PowerPoint presentations. (laughs) (laughs) So he calls an admiral into uh,
2: his office, and he's like, I have an idea. I have a plan we need to retake Deep Space 9 and then the camera like whips around and you see this giant display board with like Deep Space 9 and it's got uh, the Federation like they just took like the combat badges. Yeah, they're all designated
1: by like the combat
2: badges. <laughs> right, but like this thing is so huge and it's on the wall that like there's no way the Admiral didn't see it when he walked into no. the room. It's awesome.
0: <laughs> he just chose not to acknowledge it, you know? Right, right,
2: for the benefit of the omniscient viewers.
1: Um, And Cisco's basically like, look, we're
2: going for it. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, they, they really like, they literally have to go for it because as you know, the episode uh, starts gaining traction and moving the plot forward and things like that, it's starts to become more evident that like, this is a suicide mission. This is like odds. Like the, the deck is completely stacked against you. You know the the Davo wheel is not spinning in your <laughs> favor, you know, and it's just it it feels dire. It, it has a sense of tension that I
1: think. Well, and they've Star been Trek they've been losing really a lot of battles. Like ships have been going down, and they they play with this a little more later in the season, but like you know, they start putting up, you know, lists of people that didn't make it back or are missing or are confirmed dead, and you can just feel the weight of of the conflict starting to to just drag them all down. Right.
3: Well Starfleet's not used to losing. Right. They're used to to expanding and encountering life forms and those life forms want to become part of the Federation or they want to be at least peaceful. And so Outposts are set up and they send supplies and then they move on, but they've never had to truly, at least not for a long time, fight a war and a war in which they're often losing and having to engage and retreat and engage and retreat. And it's, it's heavy. Yeah, it is. It's, it's got.
0: Yeah, and for the longest time in the Federation, any time they did encounter any hostile forces, they both were just like, okay, we'll set up a neutral territory, we'll just stick to ourselves and not engage in war. But now they have someone who's Mm -hmm. actively coming at them and is like, you can't stop us. We're going to keep coming for you and taking over your entire world.
2: Yeah, it
1: is not good. they, they, They can't, the Federation can't fix this with their words, which is how they're used to fixing things. And you have, you know, again, with the, the structure of the Dominion, right, you've got your, the people who live under the Dominion, you've got the Jemadar soldiers, you've got the Vorta, you've got the frickin' founders who are treating this like their personal, like, divine right to do these things, and mm-hmm. that's not to be negotiated with, really, because they they believe they have divine right to, you know, kind of lord over the solids. yeah.
2: And one thing that happens before this episode is Cisco. I, I don't want to say forces. Forces is probably the wrong word. Cisco tells the Bajorans as the emissary that you need to sign a non-aggression pact with the Dominion. Because as of right now, that is the only way we can protect Bejor. And I think that that like really like nail uh, really like. Nails in the gravity of this situation. But that happens like, and this is like where it gets really weird because this hap- that happened like four or five episodes ago at this point. So, just kind of setting that stage, you know, Dukat's back in charge of Terraknor, as he likes to call nominally.
1: it. Nominally. <laughs> right. Right. Because he's not, I mean, he's, he's. Gold Dukat's never had the power that Gold Dukat's always dreamed of. Right. And. You know, even now, he's more of, like, a figurehead so that they can, you know, maintain control over that area pretty easily. And it keeps him happy because he's got his little space station that he loves so much. <laughs> but ultimately, he doesn't really have a ton of control over the grand scheme of things. He can only micromanage the people that are directly in front of him. Right, because Yoon's there, Jim Hadar are... <laughs> our-
2: not drinking at Quark's <laughs> yeah. which is a plot point because Quark is <laughs> like, these guys suck, they just sit and take up space in my bar. They're so bad for get him out of here. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, oh man, I miss the days of the Klingons. I they, miss the bar fight.
1: If if Quark had found a catch or sell white guy, he would have been right. rolling in business. Right.
2: But like, once again That happens like two or three episodes before this two-parter, they blow up the Ketracel White facility in the Alpha Quadrant. So like, this is, yeah, this is where it all comes to head. And then, Katie, one of your favorite characters that in a previous episode you dubbed Goo Tits, um, she shows up (laughs) on Deep Space Nine Uh, to get Odo out of the way.
3: She infuriates me she has this calm condescension and and it gives power over Odo and it gives power to everyone else and Wei Yun, obviously, as a servant to the Founders, bends to her. And I mean, I know that there is an argument that changelings operate as one within the great link, but clearly Gutits is swinging them around and she's, I feel like, really kind of the master manipulator of these plans and I don't know if that's just she's a council leader carrying out the will of the changelings or if she is the head changeling I don't know but she she gets Odo kind of romanticized back into wanting to be a changeling wanting to be a part of the great link wanting to be a part of his people again and while that's understandable and um we can be sympathetic to that it we lose Odo, as he is in these episodes, with uh, the female changeling, and that's really detrimental to his relationship, Odo's relationship with Kira, and Odo's re- relationship with really everyone on the station, because Terok Nor, as it is lovingly called now, is starting to crumble and fall back into Dominion power and not Cardassian power.
2: Yeah, and I think that's ultimately what scares Dukat, and he you know, openly discusses it a couple times with fellow Cardassians that, like, oh, yeah, like, the Founders are here and the Dominion is here for now. And he thinks he's going to, like, weasel his way out of it. And, like, I don't think the Dominion is, like, something you walk away from. Like, I don't no, think they It's kind
3: like... of like the Obsidian Order, right? You, you don't walk... Or the Orion um, Syndicate, I mean. You don't walk away from these organizations. You... You are part of it, or you are not in existence.
2: And so, the only like members of like I would say like the core cast, the quote unquote crew of Deep Space Nine that are left on Tarraknor is Kira is still there as kind of the Bajoran She's the she's
1: the, uh, the liaison to the Bajoran government,
2: right? Quark obviously stayed because you know got to protect the bar. <laughs>
3: War good for business. <laughs> well, and also regardless. Rom
1: was staying back as a spy. And um. so, yeah, like that was a whole thing.
2: <sighs> and then
1: Jake Cisco,
3: oh, oh um, Jake. he stays He's a back. journalist.
2: Oh, it's such a good plot, though, to be like, oh, like I want to be the embedded journalist that's like, you know, sending my my articles back to the New York Times or whatever. But like in a previous episodes, Ducat's like, yeah, man. I'm reading all of your writing, and I'm not sending it to Starfleet. Like, you may claim to be here, you know, as a journalist, but, like, We don't I have
1: to open that communication line for you.
2: Yeah. He's like, I don't think that, you know, th- this is Federation propaganda. I'm not sending this. But you're a good writer. But they, like, they,
1: they do get a message off the station with everyone's favorite bar resident. <laughs> good old uh, Morn. Quite the chatterbox. We, we stand Morn. Oh, I love Morn. <laughs> I, I love. So I love. I love the shot of Kira putting her finger on the ribbon. It's very good
2: because that's the only way they can get a message out. And it's funny because when Cisco eventually gets that message at whatever starbase he's on, he goes, "I've known he's the courier for that. years. I trust him." <laughs> right. <laughs> and the admiral's like, like how, we, how? is this good info?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, Morn's a great guy."
3: How often has Cisco and Morn interacted? Like. Truly, even off-screen. Like, Cisco doesn't frequent Quark's, but Morn lives there. Often Quark has locked Morn in there because he's just passed out. <laughs> so, how well do they know each other? Maybe they there? go to baseball Where games just... together. Oh, I love oh, that. Oh, yeah. I love that. Morn in a baseball hat? I yeah. need it. Someone yeah. do it.
2: I'm just picturing Morn doing, like, all of, like... The fan engagement, like trying to do the, the wave, wave
3: <laughs> <like>. <laughs> just looking around, like and no, now, now, got it, okay.
1: <laughs> well, we know that Morn is the biggest gossip on Deep Space Nine, yeah. so
0: <laughs> I, I <laughs> love He's a real
1: chatterbox that one. Yeah,
0: I love Morn as a character and just what they've turned him into. He's the the station's <laughs> bis- biggest gossiper, socializer. Knows everyone has connections to everyone. And he's just and he's just there, and we never see him say a word. It's the best joke in Deep Space Nine.
2: <laughs> just as a side note, there's one episode where, um... It's the one where the warp core blows up, and Sisko ends up traveling through time, and Jake is played by, like, a completely different actor, and it's like, Jake is
1: an old man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the visitor.
2: Yeah, where Jake has to die to snap the timeline back. And at one point, Nog comes to visit Jake, and he's like yeah, we could all just fly out to Deep Space Nine, get a drink at Morn's, because he owns
1: the bar now.
3: (laughs) Because of course he does. That's genius.
1: (laughs) In the back of my head, it's like, oh. And I was like, I love that for (laughs) Morn.
2: It's great. Morn is the best spy on Deep Space Nine. Right. And you have, like, actual Spy Garrick, (laughs) who is not on Deep
1: Space Nine at this point. And he still went to his mother's birthday party. (laughs) What a good guy. What a good guy. Which which made me
0: question um, the Dominion's hold on Deep Space Nine, so the fact that they're just like, yeah, Marnie, you can (laughs) leave the station to go to your mom's birthday. Were they just (laughs) allowing people to kind of go back and forth?
1: It kind of seems like it as long as you were, like, a... Neutral party? Yeah. I, I don't know what Morn's business is on Deep Space no Nine, one or does. he just lives there.
0: <laughs> His business is is keeping uh, Quark in business.
2: That's true. <laughs> so, Steph, Caitlin, Katie, since you three are all more well-versed in Deep Space Nine than myself, I have a question about Morn specifically. Was he there prior to Federation occupation?
0: Yes. Like know. was he?
2: Oh, was so he was he? there. He's just like a permanent fixture at the bar. Uh,
3: I think he's been like cork. He's just been there through Cardassia, through the Federation, through Dominion Cardassia. Okay. He just he just exists. Yeah.
0: I I don't I okay. definitely don't think he's new. Like I have no actual evidence to support that, but mm-hmm. I'm
1: I'm checking the 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 wiki memory Alpha. And let's see. His occupation actually is courier. (laughs) Oh, cool. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, So
3: he's allowed to leave because his job is to deliver things like messages to Starfleet that they're blowing up a minefield. Sure. But but quietly. He He, he owned his own shipping
1: business that specialized in the transport of various mundane cargos. (laughs) He enjoyed (laughs) a reputation while living on Deep Space Nine of being social and highly talkative, (laughs) and he enjoyed a wide variety of alcoholic (laughs) beverages as a frequent patron of Quark's, and also his best customer.
3: I can only hope someone writes something so kind on my (laughs) tombstone.
2: (laughs) Well, I was just wondering if, like, because if Morn was there during Cardassian occupation, I bet Golducott, like walked in and was like, oh, so you're still here. Oh, I- <laughs> Go about your business. Like Golducott has no reason to suspect, right?
1: Right. There actually is an episode in this, I believe it's in this season, The Who Mourns for Mourn, about, mm. and I just remembered because it's in the Memory Alpha um, wiki, the Mother's Day heist that Mourn pulls off where he extracts Latinum from uh, gold-pressed latinum bars and stores them in his second stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Which is just like a baller move. Like Good As for you him. Do.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, that's what I use my second stomach for. Mm-hmm. So, they get this message to Sisko through, obviously, the best character in all of Star Trek.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and Sisko, like, rallies the fleet, but the problem is the Klingons aren't coming at all the you know they send off martok and Worf. well and they're not going to get there in time if yeah. they do to like convince gowron like hey if we need we need deep deep space nine if we don't take back deep space nine like we're done and just it's all for loss
0: and just touching on that i did admire um the whole conversation that cisco had with starfleet as they Starfleet and, and a lot of fictional stories are obsessed with Earth and everyone coming after Earth. They're like, okay, we have enemy invaders. Where are they going to go? Earth. It's always Earth, even though the Federation <laughs> is made up of multiple different species and planets. They're always just so obsessed with Earth, which is, gets really boring after like the 100th alien attack. Mm-hmm. But I did like right. that whole conversation that Cisco had where he was like, no, no, no. They don't care about Earth. They're gonna go to Earth eventually, but what they care about is Deep Space Nine. And right now, Deep Space Nine is the most important holding plate, uh, holding point in the whole Federation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: And it was a great, it right. was a great twist because normally you see the humans having to be like, "Well, you know, we gotta go back in time, save some whales, and save Earth." But instead, they're just like Deep Space Nine. <laughs> here we go.
3: Yes, the classic Visco girl of space trying to save Earth. Yeah. <laughs> but I totally agree because you're right. It is bigger than Earth and thank God we finally can acknowledge that Earth is not the center of everything. Mm-hmm. And Cisco was right in saying who controls deep space nine controls the wormhole. Yeah. And obviously with the Jem'Hadar trying to get their fleet in from the other side, you need control of that, and if you don't control that, and you instead defend Earth, you're just giving them time and space to invade and conquer. Because it's not like Earth is their
0: end game. It's no, it's like right. No. The whole territory is their end game. Earth, it will just be a footnote at the end of the day. So pulling back to defend Earth is just like that. It's eh, that's, that's humans being prideful and being and thinking that they're way more important than they actually are. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Earth is a symbolic foothold of the Federation, but if you're gonna just take them out anyway, you can kick them in the nards later, like, you just have to get the job done. Right, who's to
0: say they won't go for Vulcan first, you know? The Vulcans Mm -hmm. are super important, they've still got their planet.
1: Well,
2: in a later episode, I think, where we're at now in our watch, the Dominion eventually takes Beta Mm -hmm. Mm Zed, And, like, it's... It's... Uh, you know, like humans don't live there, but I'm sure the zets. That's like... like a that's like a B plus planet, yeah, right. <laughs> it's like halfway down on the syllabus.
0: It's not at the top, you know. It's not New York or L A., but it's close. It'd right. be like it'd be like it's Akron. Chicago, Atlanta. It would be Atlanta. Okay, Atlanta. Yeah,
1: not uh, Akron. The most strip clubs in the entire in the entire continent. You know,
2: <laughs> but yeah. So it's. I I agree with Katie. Like, it's very, very refreshing. I think, like, outside of Star Trek, like, Marvel movies have this problem and comic mm-hmm. books have this problem a lot where it's just like, oh, yeah, like, there's this big overarching galactic force. Like, let's go to Earth. Yeah. For reasons. And it's just like, why? Why does everything have to be set on mm-hmm. Earth? Why can't it just be set on Earth? A weird green space station in the middle of nowhere.
1: Well, and even the you know the admiral that Cisco is talking to kind of alludes to the fact that like no one really gets this whole emissary business. It's nice that you like Bejor. That's neat, but you know you're still a human. So like, why is this such a big deal to you? And Cisco has to kind of like shut it down and be like, look, you know, Earth is Earth. Sure, but, you know, Bejor actually means more to me now in my life, and I need to make sure that they're taken care of, too, because they're the most likely to get caught in the crossfire. Right,
0: and at the end of the day, they are a planet full of innocence, and, you know, maybe we should protect them.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, and Cisco gives this very beautiful, beautiful speech about, like, I'm gonna build a house on. Oh Vajor. yeah! Like that. Yeah. This is where I'm going to live. This is home for oh, me. The Cisco. I love the Cisco. The Cisco is my favorite captain. I am putting my foot down. It is my favorite captain <laughs> for the next three weeks until we get the Voyager, and then Janeway <laughs> will be my favorite captain.
1: <laughs> well, and while while all of this is going on, Rom has been caught, you know, messing with systems <sighs> and. <laughs> They're sentencing him to death, and nobody can get a hold of Odo because he's having goose sex, Uh, and... There's a lovely little scene, though, where Goldukat and Weyoun are standing in front of a window, looking out to the minefield in front of the wormhole, <laughs> and Goldukat keeps, like, seeing them explode them, like, controlled explosions, because <laughs> they figured out how, like, these replicators work, and he's like, it's beautiful, it's like a shooting star, and, like, Weyoun's like, my eyes are crap, I don't, I don't know, You. I believe you, okay, cool, like, whatever, and it's, it does reinforce for me, though, how perfunctory this all seems to him. Because, like, Goldie like, we're gonna win! We're gonna do the thing! And he's like, yeah, like, we take over parts of space all the time. Like, just get it done. <laughs> right. And there's also a very lovely moment in the
2: second half of the episode where... The second half of the 2 part excuse me. Where Demar, Dukat Demar and Damar are talking. Themselves. And... Yoon's like in the corner <laughs> and he's like, terrible eyes.
1: Great ears. I heard everything you just said. <laughs> well, can you stop wasting time talking about what someone said to your daughter? It's <laughs> right. also
0: amazing to watch his body language in that scene because I knew it was coming. I just watched Wei-Yoon standing in the corner and that actor, he's so good. You can literally watch him react. Just, mm-hmm. You can feel how annoyed he is with Dumar and Ducat <laughs> before he even turns around to say his line.
1: Yeah. Jeffrey,
0: Jeffrey Combs is so
3: good.
1: Yeah. yeah. Jeffrey Combs is. He's,
2: he's
3: hes the goat. Yes. There, there are mean, so he's many. He's also Brunt, too, which I know Brunt obviously doesn't make an appearance here, uh-huh. but that just speaks to the actor's versatility that he can play this, like, airy, blind, <laughs> but good appearing hearing, <laughs> Borta follower while also being an aggressive Ferengi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like,
0: convincing in both roles. Like, he's. He's awesome. Oh, and then as yeah. Shran in Enterprise, Ugh, it's yeah. so. He comes back
2: in Enterprise,
0: so he plays. I told you he's the ghost. He uh, plays an Andorian that is arguably Archer's best <sighs> That's friend, right. and they're kind of they're kind of like enemy best friends. It's absolutely fantastic, and he's so That's good right. as an so Andorian, and they're all different roles. Like you don't look at it and think Jeffrey Coombs. You you look at his characters, and you you just fully mm-hmm. believe every single one of his characters.
1: And he was actually pretty young at the time they were doing Deep Space Nine. I was just looking at him to make sure I was remembering his filmography. And he's he's 66 now, which means he was like in his early 30s during all of this and able to play all those multiple roles at the same time. That's wild. Excellent.
2: So Caitlin, you kind of alluded to this, but multiple times through our watching, specifically in this episode, but in any episode, my favorite part is when you put your hand on my shoulder and you go, Rom is the best character <laughs> in Deep Space Nine.
1: He is! I love Rom! <laughs> he has such a good arc, and he's a good person, and a good dad, and all he wants is to do a good job, and you know, he wants people to like him to, like, the point where it's, you know, kind of difficult at times, but, like, the thing that you know, it always comes back to is that like he's at his core a good person, mm-hmm. and he's he's just trying. And there have been times where other characters have again I absolutely used that against him. But like when you see him in the in the brig, and you're like, oh no, they're gonna execute Rom. It's like we gotta help Rom, you guys. We gotta do this. We
2: gotta do <laughs> and what it. It takes. doesn't
3: help because he again sticking to his good guy character. He's taking it like a champ. He's like, "Yeah, they're gonna save me for the morning, but I, I died doing what I know was right and it was good." And that's kind of how he tries to convince Cork to to help uh, to sabotage the anti graviton beam um, mm-hmm. and kind of finish what he started. But like, he has that good guy like, "Well, I'm going down doing the right thing, right, guys?" And you just go, "Oh, Rom." Oh, and this Rom. is
0: actually a great episode for a bunch of um, the ge- the side characters because we all get to kind of see them go beyond their stereotypes. Like, mm-hmm. Rom started very much off as the idiot brother and who just, like, has a heart of gold, starts the resistance, fucking starts a union. <laughs> <over> <laughs> he's workers' genius. <laughs> he's an engineer genius. And then we also have Nog, who gets a promotion to Ensign.
2: <laughs> oh, it's so cute when he goes up to O'Brien and is like, I did it.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, okay. he technically
2: outranks O'Brien
0: now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you also have Jake, who's just, you know, he goes against his dad's dreams of joining Starfleet and is like, yeah, I'm going to be a reporter. Very different for him. You have Garrick, who, who's like, yeah, I was a spy now I'm working with the Federation and just doing my business for them. You have all these stereotypical characters that started very much off. As archetypes in the beginning of the series, but Deep Space Nine gave them the the room to really grow as characters and become something new and so exciting that you just can't help but love every single one of them. My one biggest note that I wrote while watching rewatching these episodes was just Quark MVP because at the end <laughs> of the day. He's had the least amount of growth so far. Like, he, he's had little nudges here and there, but this is the first time that he's really had to blatantly kind of go up against everything and anything to save his brother. And he ends up murdering two people, two Jem'Hadar, mm-hmm. to save his brother at something that will not be a profit for himself. And then he has to go out, you know, and and help sabotage the rest of the station. And for him this is it may seem inconsequential compared to everyone else that's already joined the rebel business but this is the biggest thing that I think Cork has ever done.
3: No, Cork had to take a side. He's always looked out for his interests mm-hmm. and of course for profit. But anytime he's been in a hard position like when he got into an arms dealing um business oh, yeah. with his cousin mm-hmm. um he got out and he got out for a good reason. He did not want to see 28 million people Murdered at the hands of weapons he sold, but he got out in kind of a selfish way. He let circumstance happen mm-hmm. in ways that the two enemies took each other out in in the cargo yeah. room. Um, but he kind of had his hands clean from that situation. He didn't have his hands clean. Here. Yeah, you you said it. He murdered two Jemhadar. He picked. He chose a side, and now he's got to follow through with that. Otherwise, it was for nothing. Yeah.
0: And, he, and there was arguably no profit in it for him, besides saving his brother's life and, and helping stop the Dominion.
2: And when he does it, when he kills those two Jim Hadar... The look on his face yo, is great. It It's unsettling. Because, like, usually yeah. Quark is kind of like, rolls your eyes, spouts off a rule of acquisition, profit, profit, profit. Well, and even in the rest latinum. of
1: Star Trek, there's normally pew, 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 alright, everybody keep running, and everybody else runs... And Quark's like, oh, I just, like, killed two people. Whoa. do I
2: rectify that. (laughs) Right. And you can see it, like, on his face. It's one of two moments in this episode that just kind of, like, sent a chill down my spine. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And it's just good storytelling. Mm -hmm. Back not on Deep Space Nine, Terok Nor, there's just a massive amount of of CG starships (laughs) flying at each other nonstop. And I think it's just really cool to see, because, like, you could see a bunch of, like, oh, this is clearly, like, what the Enterprise would have looked like if it was done in CG instead (laughs) of a model, like, back in TNG and things like that. So that's really cool. You get to see, like, some of the tiny, like, little starfighters, which, like, is very weird... I have, like, this weird disassociation thing with, like, Starfleet is about science and discovery. Why would you need, like, pew-pew laser
1: ships? (laughs) Sometimes you need to pew-pew laser.
2: I know, I know. And, like, besides the Defiant, like, just seeing, like, those, like, tiny little, like, almost like Battlestar Galactica, like, vipers was really weird.
1: Yeah, it's not like they have, like, an enormous fleet of them, but, like, when things arise, and also I would imagine with the rise of the Dominion, you know, the Defiant was not like ready to go when all of this started, they kind of gave it to Deep Space Nine as like we've got this prototype. It probably mostly works. Here you go. <laughs> like and and it like half the time the 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 shielding doesn't work right, and they're always improving it. Or half the time the cloaking's fritzed. Like this is not, you know they may have these ships, but like ultimately they are not the backbone of the Federation.
2: Right, and their big plan is to push through the Dominion fleet... um, To get to DS9. Bait some Cardassian ships to chase them so there's, like, a break in the line. And how many ships can we get through to get to DS9? And the answer is, it's the Defiant. That's it. You get one ship across. Which, I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. you gotta get your core cast of characters back to Deep Space Nine. And they get there... Just as the minefield gets exploded. Yeah. It was And it's
0: it's very real bad. It's real bad, but also it was really pretty visually. It's like, oh, it's like fireworks.
3: <laughs> the Defiance showed up. Oh, here's little explosions.
0: I uh, bet even Wei Yun
3: saw it. Ha. I do like that they got there not in time, because that's often the story is like everyone gets there right in the nick of time and they're there just with enough time left to save the day and grab a beer. Um, but they didn't, they got there, they fought through, they lost a lot of ships, they lost a lot of people, but it wasn't enough. And that kind of settles in over the episode and you go, well, shit, Like, <laughs> what do we do now? Because there is not a plan B. Jadzia has been saying, okay, captain, come up with plan B. But I mean, if you have Hadar ships coming through that wormhole with a fleet already, they're like, n- no, no B, there's no B here. I mean, meanwhile, Goldicott's all but, like,
1: popping a bottle of, you know, sparkling
3: car. (laughs) And being like, we nailed it,
1: you guys. And William's like, no, we lost a ton of ships in that, too. And he's like, but we kept DS9, so, you know, we're fine. (laughs) All these ships are going to come through the wormhole, and the second wave is going to be here, and it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be great. He
3: basically has those Dabo girls, like, jumping up and down with him as he shakes the bottle open. (laughs) 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 Dabo!
2: And then to Katie's point, you know, you were saying, like, in in fiction, generally, it's like the heroes get there right in the nick of time to, like, save the day and everything like that. It even happens on DS9, too, because Braum is, like, crawling through the tubes to, like, disable the weapon system and everything like that. And even him at one point is like, I didn't do it in time. Like, I couldn't stop it because they do end up detonating the minefield. And you can see the look on Rom's face, like, oh, no, like, I failed.
0: It's such a good, tense moment leading up to it because, you know, they're dragging it out. And you're like, oh, like, as a viewer, you're just like, yeah, they're going to make it. It'll be fine. So you don't really (laughs) feel that tension up until the moment where Rom says it's too late. And you're like, wait, what? They didn't actually win? Mm -hmm. And you look at the time left in the episode. You're like, they only have so much time left. How are they going to solve this one? it's a really good writing because they kind of sweep the rug Mm -hmm. out from under you.
2: Well, and I think it helps build tension. Mm -hmm. And like, like Caitlin said at the start of this, like, this is not a season premiere. This is not, you know, a season finale. This is like six episodes into like the sixth season. This is in the middle of the season. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just a random episode. It's not like a big, you know, network night or anything like that. This is just, how it's gonna be?
1: <laughs> well, and, and you see the moment where the entire Defiant crew kind of goes real quiet as Cisco announces they are going head on into the wormhole, and it's it's a suicide mission.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Well, and everybody accepts it, um,
2: even Garrick. And <laughs> Garrick's like mm-hmm. Garrick's on the Defiant. I think it's really cool. I. And this is just, like, a weird, I-like-visual-aesthetics-dumb thing. But, like, seeing Garrick with the comm badge on... Oh, mm -hmm, yes. ...is just... Even though it's temporary, you know, he doesn't wear it ever again. But, like, to see him be like, no, I've drawn the line in the sand. This is where I stand with this. You know, he even gives, like, a beautiful speech earlier, uh, a couple episodes ago, when they evacuate Deep Space Nine... That he's like, I'm I'm going with you guys. Like, you guys are my friends. This is where I want
0: to be. And it's actually really good because at the start of the second episode, he's actually arguing um, with the crew because he spent time on a Starfleet station. And he's like, you know, they must have implanted a device. They're listening to my thoughts. And everyone's like, no, no, Garrick, it's fine. You know, you're being paranoid. He's <laughs> like, well, that's what I would do. And you could tell that even though he has... Joins Starfleet and is working with them. He's doing it because of the Deep Space Nine crew. Like he's doing everything for them.
2: Is it for them or is it for his boyfriend? Let's
0: be honest. <laughs> they do flirt a lot when they're on the bridge together. They're just constantly just Bashir and Garrick just just back and forth all the time.
3: I will. Um, I think Bashir is solely on the bridge for Garrick. Like his his medkit is much. Stronger in the infirmary. Why is he standing on the bridge, just you know, side eyeing
0: Garrett? It's so he, they can <laughs> you know do why. witty lines and quote poems, and <laughs> and just you know, Bashir just wants to hang out with his boyfriend and his best friend. <laughs> it's it's True. precious. Yeah. Uh, but Garrick actually does say a really good line um, in his dialogue with Bashir. Uh, Bashir just points out, you know, like Garrick is always negative, and Bashir says this great line, which I love, and it's just the typical like. I always hope for the best experience, unfortunately, has taught me to expect the worst. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I love Garrick. He's got such good history and in all his he's dialogue.
2: So... Yeah, he's he is definitely a pleasant surprise. And to see him on the Bridge of the Defiant, not only, you know, I mean, we, we joke and we say, oh, yeah, he wants to be like right next to his boyfriend Bashir and everything like that. You know, Cisco put him there. Mm-hmm. Like, he is there not just for Bashir or Miles or anybody like that. Like, he is there (laughs) because he is trusted by this crew. He has become a member of, you know, like, the DS9. I don't want to say inner circle because he's not, like, main cast. But, like, he's definitely very, very important. You know, I think, you know, we were uh, discussing it in a previous episode. It's really weird how many two-parters Garrick is in. Compared to a lot of other characters, like, they're very rarely a two-parter that's, like, heavy on the Miles O'Brien content. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's like whenever you know. they need a good, strong, single episode, or they're doing, like, long ar- arcs, they're like, okay, we're bringing Garrick in, because we need a heavy hitter, and that's Garrick.
2: And it's great, and he always delivers.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So they fly this ship into the wormhole... They arm every damn weapon they have on the ship. I guess plan B, like, Cisco, was just, like, gonna go down in a blaze of glory and try and stop as many ships as he can, because the Prophets do end up interfering and removing the Gemhadar ships from the wormhole existence, maybe, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, like, seriously, they go over it and, you know, the... Dominion forces on DS9 are like, well, where did they all go? Like, our uh, communists in the Gamma Quadrant aren't picking them up. We're not picking them up. Like, I seriously think the prophets just, like, blip them out of existence, right?
0: I have a, a running theory that they actually dumped them um, in the Delta Quadrant. Um, and and <laughs> Janeway runs into them. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> that, that's my fan yeah. theory. I Because th- I, I think it would be a, a lot of fun. I'm going to write the book on that right. one day. just a Voyager right. novel.
2: I would love to see Tom Paris try to punch a
0: Jem'Hadar.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just throwing that out there. I was going to say, did Cisco go into the wormhole solely because he was hoping to stop the Jem'Hadar there? Or did he have an inkling that maybe they would interfere because they have interfered when action has taken place within the wormhole? Whether that was with the Grand Nagus, or whether that's been with him. Like, See, and I was had it he, as was this kind of B? a
1: 50-50 yeah. that he was either going to wait for their divine quote-unquote intervention, or he was going to collapse the wormhole with everyone inside.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm, yeah. Like, that was, I, I thought he was going to, like, pull a warp core breach and explode the Defiant yeah. and collapse everything with them inside.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with Caitlin here. That's pretty much how I took it as well. He was just like, okay, don't really have a plan B, but I have about two options, and I'm going to try for both.
2: Well, Katie just,
1: like, stole that question right Because, <laughs> like, that's Sorry. what I, like, it's, I mean. I don't you know, think he has to say it out loud. I mean, like like we've been saying, I, I don't know that there were many other options at that point. Oh, yeah. No, you know? there was definitely and, and not. And think of all the people on both sides that, that. Perished on their way through that blockade, they wow. had to make it count.
2: It should be noted we didn't really cover this uh, in order, but the only reason the Defiant make it through the blockade is because the Klingons show up, like Worf shows up. Yeah, they do. And, and
1: <laughs> Martok, Martok, Martok,
2: Martok shows up.
1: <laughs> now um, I've you know, if I to friend my side, how about a friend? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's like that moment. <laughs>
2: and it's very beautiful. And then, yeah, so like Cisco pulls a profit like I'm tired of these Jim Hadar in my wormhole get them out and it works and then not without a not without a cost though. Oh, yeah, no. There's always a cost. Always a cost.
3: And that cost well, please, is corporeal the... life forms. <laughs> oh, I was going to say the
2: cost was the absolute look of embarrassment on Golden <laughs> <God's> face. <laughs> <laughs> because they cut to DS Nine and Wayun is just like, all right, we tried, like, getting the ships, let's go, and Golducat is like the only one that cannot accept defeat. He just he 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 doesn't register it. It doesn't cross his mind that he has been outsmarted and defeated. By well, and this was the
1: only thing he was in it for, right?
0: And but to be fair to Descartes, no one really expected the prophets to kind of come in and take the Dominion <laughs> fleet away. Like that move was kind of is unexpected on all sides.
2: Yeah. It is some um, power level DM bullshit, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the Dominion has to evacuate Deep Space Nine, and then you get the most heartbreaking part of this episode, aside
1: from Quark murdering two Jim Hadar, Zial dies. She is She is shot. So Zial confessed to her father that she was actually part of the group that broke Rom out and helped take control back of the space station. And he's like, you know, in in that kind of Golducott kind of back and forth moment where he's like, you know what? I don't even care about that right now. I just want you to be safe. And he's trying to get her to come with him. And she's saying, no, you don't understand. Like, these are my people. I'm staying. And he goes, all right. And as they separate from their hug, uh Damar shoots her from over Ducat's shoulder, and yeah she she dies like pretty much immediately, yep, and he just yells like,
2: Oh, she was a traitor, mhm like i heard I heard that entire conversation. I don't care that she's your daughter, she was a traitor, and it breaks Dukat,
1: but it's exactly what the Cardassians would do to someone that had done that, and so yeah, it's just it it breaks his reality that. You know, this is the consequence, He's the price he's having to pay.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it breaks him as like a gentle word for what happens, because he was already kind of broken Mm -hmm. in that his plan didn't work and the Jem'Hadar got yeeted into a void by the (laughs) prophets. And then he had sacrificed so much for Zial, And yeah, he was annoyed she wasn't going to come, but you know she's stayed behind before and he's come back. And so things might work out until DeMar snuffs that away and he just collapses into himself. <laughs> and it's really heartbreaking. And I know it's hard to want to feel that way towards Dukat because he's become a very clear villain, or at least what we thought was a villain. He's going to become that a, a touch more. Um, but <laughs> you just have that sympathy of, yes, he's lost his daughter. Side note: He has other children, so like, right. I don't know what has happened. He, I know that they that he had to kind of be disowned by that family for taking this half bajoran daughter, but but his obsession with Zial has just broken him. Yes, broken. But I don't know what other word just completely well, there's, there's annihilated been, him. There's been other episodes. I think
1: th- there's another episode in the season that also expands on Golukhats perception of himself and the good guy he thinks himself to be. A powerful good guy, but but a good guy. And the fact that he's taken these Bajoran mistresses over the years is somehow in a twisted way proof to himself that he's benevolent, that he's really a good man, and that he can provide for these women in his life. And Zial kind of represented the, the culmination of all of that, because if he could be a father to her and a provider for her, more importantly, whether or not she enjoyed it, um, showed that he's he's true to what he thinks he is. And her death and her death at the hands of, you know, the Cardassian philosophy of, you know, execute first, ask questions later, betrays what he he thinks himself to be.
0: And Ducat is, is a direct parallel to Cisco in the sense that, you know, they all had dreams of what they think Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. should be. They have children. They have futures that they both want. And Ducat is just, you know, he's the evil Kardashian version of Cisco, but, and, and the opposite side, but still he's, mm-hmm. he has ambitions that are eerily similar to Cisco's. And I think it would be similar Mm -hmm. to if Sisko lost Jake, That's it would equally break him.
2: Oh, oh yeah. I don't even want to imagine that. That would (laughs) make me cry for many, many hours. I love (laughs) Jake. (laughs) The other two characters that uh, Zial's death definitely affects, though, are Kira and Garrick.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And it's kind of touched on... Not really in this, these episodes because you know this episode's got to end. It's it's a it's a two parter. You're going up against the time limit. You don't have time to expand on all of that.
1: But Kira's not happy about it either. Um, I, I mean, think- at the end of the episode, Kira's basically sitting Shiva with like Zial's corpse right. in the infirmary, right? And she and they invite Garrick to to come and you know bear witness and sit and and grieve and and he doesn't really know how to to process any of it because this is you know he's he's the master of compartmentalization <laughs> so you know he's he's like oh yeah that was yeah i mean she was probably you yeah, know yeah and cuz Ziel was
0: us. with everyone else that Garrick has a relationship with they he, he tends to play games but with Ziel it was mm-hmm. she loved him and i don't For me, it never felt like a romantic love. It was just... It was very... No. She saw something in Garrick that she admired and just wholeheartedly accepted. And that's something Garrick never understood. So their relationship was always very honest and open and so much unlike every single one of his other relationships. And then with Kira, Ziel kind of was essentially a symbol of Bajor and uh, the Cardassians kind of coming together. And she has to accept that, you know, that the time for hating on Cardassia or Cardassians themselves has kind of passed. Like she had to come to terms with CL um, and her father. And mm-hmm. so she became quite protective and now they both they both kind of, lo- you know, Zial represents Innocence. There's no doubt about it. And they all both just had to kind of come to terms with the loss of mm-hmm. that Innocence. And it's really hard for both those characters because they're both characters that don't let people in very often.
2: No.
3: No, they're the strong foundation backbone of a mission. They have a goal. They will get to that target and do whatever it takes. But they've both been completely knocked off their game. For different reasons, but for the same reason as well.
1: Well, and they're they're characters that have taken those kind and soft and and loving parts of themselves and kind of chipped those parts off into the fire over the years for the Mm -hmm. sake of the greater good and for the sake of their people and for the sake of, you know, the, the righteous cause. And... So to lose Zial, who still had that goodness about her, even though she basically grew up in like a forced labor camp, you know, just speaks to their own sense of loss as well. It sucked. It hard. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: You know, I, I spoke earlier about like the two moments in this two-parter that like kind of like send a shiver up my spine, and this is the second one is is when Zial dies because it it hurts, and I think you know, you nailed it when you said, you know, she represents innocence Mm -hmm. because, you know, she's just wanting to live. She wants to be here. She, you know, wants to explore her art. She wants to figure out who she is, how she fits in between these two completely disparate societies. It's, uh, it's so good. It's so good. And like the first time I watched this two parter, uh, probably about like two or three years ago at this point. This happened, and I just, I didn't, I didn't feel anything, you know? I had no context for what Zial represented, who she was, or anything like that. And this time, like, it hurt. It hurt a lot. And that is just a testament to how good the storytelling is. When you
0: rewatch it again, knowing how... um... Things end in the Dominion War. It's even more wild of a situation knowing where Dukat ends up and where Damar end up. And you rewatch that scene, you're just like, holy shit, so much changes Mm -hmm. between, because this is season six. And so much changes between season six and season seven, the end of the Dominion War for those characters. And yeah. yeah. Well,
2: fine. I guess I'll just have to watch I just, Deep Space Nines. Just rewatch it like
0: three, four more times, and you'll appreciate it even more every single time.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do not think I have room in my heart for more appreciation for this show, but I
1: would definitely love to be surprised on that. I mean, you know, the episode closes too with the best stuff oh, man. ever. And, uh, well, Mark Alimo bless his heart is just blubbering he's blubbering nonsense they're like carrying him out because now he's a prisoner of war and he hands Cisco the baseball that has been in the office the entire time because right when they overtook the station you know Ducat kind of in his arrogance was like oh Cisco Cisco says he's coming back all right
3: <laughs>
1: I'm gonna hold on to this and then he 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 kind of just gives it back to him as he's being dragged off, and as he, you know, blubbering his his nonsense. I mean, in that moment, you just see the transfer of power happen. So that's not what I was talking about. Oh, <laughs> 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 oh fine.
2: No, no, no. It's it's great. Okay. I, I love the baseball thing. It's um, So good. I I enjoy it because I too am a fiddler. You know, Cisco does this a lot. Uh, Ducat does it as well but he does it differently specifically with the baseballs whenever they're talking whenever they're deep in thought whenever they're coming up with a plan they they press on the ball they hold it they like toss it from hand to hand they yeah, they you feel fiddle. the
1: stitching you know yeah right and like you know i'm i'm fiddling right now you so shouldn't i shouldn't admit to that on mic oh okay
2: <laughs> um <laughs> it's just it's just a habit and to see how both of those men interact with that object in completely different ways but still have respect for each other through that is really cool the thing I was going to talk about though was the thing that everybody has been waiting for in the five or six episodes since season six started and that was for Julian Bashir and Miles O'Brien to get back to that hollow suite and finish the (laughs) Battle of Britain they like immediately
1: go to the hollow suite
0: (laughs) Oh, my yeah, God. <laughs> it's like, you you think Bashir would be like, okay, you know, we might have some casualties coming in. O'Brien's like, yeah, we've got to fix things on Deep Space Nine, because, you know, maybe the Cardassians left some boobies traps. You would think that those would be their <laughs> first thoughts, but instead they're like, holodeck, 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 yeah, let's go play games. Games, <laughs> games, games.
2: <laughs> and, like, Quark is just excited that, like, everybody's back on the station. It feels very, like, jubilant. You know, it feels like a very mm-hmm. well-earned reward, you know, like these last like five or six episodes are very um, dense and very intense. And the episode immediately following this is a Klingon wedding, which is really cool. But yes, to see like that immediate, like return to normalcy where everybody's just like, let's get back to the hollow suite. You know, why are the Dabo tables not open? All of that stuff, you know. There's even like resolution with Gutit's
1: um, leaving with the Dominion and Odo staying on DS Nine. Like it's just well, and Odo now, you know, Ugh. even though he has to, you know, make amends and, and reconcile what he's done to contribute to how close the Dominion got to keeping DS Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still that that hope there. That's really nice. The Odo stuff also. Kind of circling back to it, the Yoto stuff also
2: strains his relationship with Kira. Oh, absolutely. And I think you As know it should. You mm-hmm. get those very, very yeah. powerful scenes where Kira is yelling at him She in calls the hallway, him on it and she calls him on it and it's
0: great. Yeah. <laughs> sorry is not gonna fix everything.
2: Yeah. Right. I think it's like at one point she's like, We are way, way, way past sorry. Like Ram almost yeah. died. You're supposed to be the security officer. I can't believe you let that Almost happen, you know. He's your friend.
3: Yeah. Well, Odo's represented to Kira kind of a safety net since the the occupation, and he's always been kind of a voice of reason, or at least a voice of neutrality. um And things have come up in his past where he perhaps made mistakes or wasn't as neutral as he thought. But at least he toted that line a lot better. But in here, he just got so absorbed, both literally and <laughs> um, not literally, with the female changeling and the idea of the Great Link and just goo-tip paradise. And he betrayed a lot of that trust in Rom, in Quark, in Kira, of course. And Quark kind of held out the longest. He's like, no, Odo will come for us. Odo will will do this. And and at the end of the day, Odo does make a decision, but but damage is done. And there's going to have to be a lot of reconciliation before before that trust comes back. Yeah, because Quark pulled
0: his move well before Odo even pulled his move. Mm -hmm. Which is arguably the most surprising, (laughs) is that it wasn't Odo who came to the rescue first, it was Quark.
2: Just a lovely, lovely pair of episodes in the middle of season six, and this is the last two-parter because from here it is well
1: there's yeah the finale is a two-parter the
2: finale and it's just it's all Mm. downhill from here this is like full serialization every episode counts you have to watch in order so this kind of like is the dessert menu being delivered to the table before you get that you know cheesecake or whatever at the end
0: but at least the family's back together at the end of
3: this two-parter
2: yep and Morn's still there
0: Mm.
3: which is you know (laughs) (laughs) He's part of the family, too, right? That guy so talkative. He is. I mean, without him, the the Starfleet wouldn't have been able to mobilize as quick as they did or have the Klingons convince Gowron as heavily as they did. I think Morn probably expedited and saved this in a lot more ways than we may give him credit for.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Katie, Steph, thank you both so much for joining us tonight. Um, Katie, did you have anything you wanted to touch on before we close out?
3: I'm just glad that we got goo tits off the station. Um, Duke, Duke is as a crumbled man, which is hard, but is going to lead to a lot of real interesting storytelling throughout the rest of the series. And I'm just happy that Bashir and O'Brien get to have their mandate back in the hollow suite.
2: <laughs> Fantastic. Steph, do you have any closing thoughts?
3: Yeah, I kind of wish we could just
0: treat all of uh, Season 7 as a bunch Mm -hmm. of two-parters just so that we can continue to talk about it. Because it just gets so much better, which is surprising because most shows kind of tap out around between Season 3 and 5. But Deep Space Nine accelerates and gets better, which is practically unheard of. So I wish we could just talk about it more all the time.
2: (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, Caitlin, did you have any closing thoughts?
1: Yeah, Sam. I mean, yeah, it's impressive for a show in its sixth season to be taking swings this goddamn big and then be able to, like, have things after it. I mean, Mm -hmm. there would be so many shows where this was the season or series finale, and everyone would kind of be okay with that. And the fact that they did it just as, you know, like a quarter season arc is just, you know, as a culmination to things over the course of many seasons leading up to it, is is pretty ballsy and incredible. And also, um, you know, DS9, I love you. I, I do appreciate that, you know, there are older actresses on this show, but they always seem to play just real straight beesies, like the female changeling <laughs> and uh, Kai Wynn. And, you know, Aww. could have done with some older ladies who weren't total VZs. But, you know what? Representation what about, mm-hmm. matters. What about Moogie? Oh, I love Moogie. Oh Moogie's the real MVP. Oh, my
0: God. Oh, yeah. Moogie's <laughs> great. I love Mugi.
1: I, I stand corrected. Uh, I'll take Troy's one mom. out of three Moogie rocks.
3: Who's mom? Troy's mom. Oh, yeah. The Betazoid. Oh, yeah. Who's yeah. Who's mom? Lux Troy.
1: Uh well but she I guess she does show up on DS9 for that one episode.
3: <laughs> I think she's in two cuz Odo a... marries her at she one She shows point. up the... oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they have their goo
0: moment. They certainly goo so much. And she makes everyone on the mm-hmm. deck horny. You know what
1: Luxwana Troy? Yeah, she's great. All right, I'll take 50/50. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's a start. <laughs>
3: okay, okay. We just got to we just got
1: to <laughs> cut down a few stuffy, you know, dude admirals.
3: Oh yeah, we can do better. Yeah. We, can, yeah. do better. we can, so can do better. We Starfleet can do
1: better. So um,
2: much better. <laughs> can I aside just for a couple seconds, since we're talking about Beta Z weddings, about my beef with Nemesis? It's. In, I thought it was an like insurrection. insurrection. Is it insurrection where Riker and Troy get married? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, no, and, and they're, they're not naked. naked. They don't, they don't
2: yeah. do it with
1: the full Monty at the end. Like yeah.
2: they, it should have just been like a wide pan of everybody's ass. Like that, it, uh, it still drives me nuts.
0: I think, I think in that case, the rating would have gone up <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, then we'll make less money. So they had to go with a very conservative wedding, which I think disappointed right. everyone because
3: <laughs> well, <Worf. laughs> it would have been a beautiful shot. I mean, who doesn't need Riker's ass? I know, I do. <laughs> 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 I wasn't talking about Riker's ass, but you know, you do. You. <laughs> but yes,
2: Beta said weddings, Klingon weddings. The Klingon wedding's really cool. And it's it's literally oh, I love Klingon right weddings. after this episode. It's like, we gave you eight episodes of really hard, really deep stuff. Let's get goofy with it. And it's it's Also perfect. the worst bachelor party of all time. Yeah, (laughs) because Worf is the best. (sighs) Well, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Thank you to our wonderful, wonderful crewmates for participating as well. Next week we will be covering the series finale of Deep Space Nine, along with like a kind of thirty minute retrospective we did, uh, similar to our ending for TNG. You can always follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 2Star2Trek. And as always,
1: to be continued.